The Start On Demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Thursday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. It's the post-election hangover edition. We are going to speak to the mayor as Brian Bowman has won his second term in office. We're also going to go to Oak Bluff for this week's Small Town Salute. They've got a great Halloween event if you're looking for something scary to do before October 31st. We'll also hear from two of the five new city councillors elected on Wednesday. Day night. We'll hear from Abby Khan, former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, now a successful restaurateur, huge supporter of this city and a huge supporter of seeing Portage in Maine reopened. So needless to say, he's a little disappointed in the results of the plebiscite, which resoundingly were in favor of the nose. We'll speak to the president of a Winnipeg company recently given a prestigious award for its efforts as a startup. And we're going to talk to Janice Lukes, counselor, the acclaimed counselor in the new ward of Waverly West, and get her thoughts on what needs to change at City Hall, how can counselors do a better job of working together and the process the complicated process that went into portage in maine and the plebiscite winnipeg's decided to keep moving forward and in doing so winnipeg has chosen a positive vision over division and a return to a status quo of the past i am incredibly humbled by this mandate. Thank you to every single one of you. We can only do this, those of us that do it, with, with support of, of, the, of our loved ones, of our family. And, and my family stands behind me, uh, they're rock solid behind me, and, and uh, I can't say enough about it and how much I appreciate them. It's a great experience, you know, and I look forward to, uh, to helping you know, our community move forward. St. Norbert is Winnipeg. It is part of Winnipeg. I'm so honored to, uh, to be the first Afro-Caribbean uh, city councillor, but I'm representing all people in the ward. Jenny Drabazzi, I have huge shoes to fill in making sure that I step up and be the mentor that she was with two women in politics. It's exhilarating. It feels great. I'm incredibly excited. Um, I'm incredibly humbled. It's hard to find that right word. I just, I'm so honored. I've spoken to Mayor Bowman and I've congratulated him on his victory. I wished him well and I let him know that I hope he does his very best for all of us going forward. And you know what, we will be happy to provide him any information that, that we can to help him better serve those who supported me and those who wanted change at City Hall. And I thought that I knew how I would feel standing here tonight regardless of the outcome, but, but wow, was I wrong. My name is no, my sign is no, my number is no. Let's not kid ourselves, we knew it was an uphill battle and a massive uphill battle at that. Uh, people just need to be educated on what the facts were. Uh, we felt on the other side that people didn't really know what they were, um, what the plebiscite was about, what the real facts were. There's a lot of fear. I think it is time we move on. I think we need to realize that we can have an amazing downtown. We can have a very positive uh, downtown environment for businesses, a positive downtown for, for citizens. We have a great theater district. We have a great sports, hospitality, entertainment district. We've got an expanded convention center. We've got lots of great things happening at the port. 
You don't need Portage Main open to have a great downtown. And I think Winnipeggers know that. I think it's time to move on. Nowhere near dead as a doornail because people needed exactly what the downtown folks are doing. And the suburbs. The suburbs needs downtown and downtown needs the suburbs. And we need someone to pull all this together. Right now, Loren... The big one last night, of course, was the mayor's race. Yeah, Brian Bowman has another four years at City Hall, winning last night with just over 50% of the vote. Losing last night, anyone hoping to see pedestrians back at Portage and Maine. Now, down to business. The first council meeting is just a few weeks away, and it will look very different compared to just a few weeks ago. There are now five new faces in those wards where incumbents were no longer running. Brian Bowman joins us on the phone now. Good morning. I'm wondering how much sleep you got. <laughs> Not too much, but uh, you know what? I, uh, I'll, I'll get caught up over the weekend. Well, let's uh, just, nice, nice to join you guys. Well, congratulations. We want to just get down to business here, Brian, because it's yeah. a lot to discuss. And, you know, heading into um, this campaign, Mr. Mayor, there's lots of people that talked about uh, how challenging it is to work with you, and you now have a different council. What are you going to do to sort of unite everyone and move forward uh, for the next four years? Well, the, the, the councillors that were saying that were, were ones that endorsed another candidate, and now the election is over. It really is, uh, I think, up to all of us, uh, including those that were actively working to get me defeated, to, uh, to, to come together and, uh, and start uh, reworking or working again for, for Winnipeggers. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, any campaign, you, you get your bruises, but at the end of the day, I'm incredibly proud that uh, we were able to grow not just our, our uh, percentage of the support from the 2014 election, but also overall votes. And so it's a stronger mandate than before. And uh, I'm obviously hoping that council will respect that democratic uh, wish from from Winnipeggers. And I'm I'm going to be uh, prepared like I did the last term. Work collaboratively with councillors. Councillors, there's uh, there's a number of of councillors that are new. Uh, just like I was new to to council in 2014, I'm really looking forward to working with them. Mr. Mayor, it's Brett here, and in, in recent months, you challenged Councillor Jeff Berwadi to stand by the courage of his convictions. In 2014, you ran on a campaign which included the promise of opening Portage in Maine, but this year you opened the door for the plebiscite, and thus that campaign promise died last night. Why didn't you stand by the courage of your convictions on that and just stick to your guns? Well, because we need nine votes to get uh, things through council, and we didn't have nine votes to open it, but we, we were able to move the, uh, uh, the goalposts uh, closer over the last four years, you know, to get the votes in order to uh, spend some money on the infrastructure as well as to do the, the long overdue um, uh, analysis of what's broken and, and what is it going to cost to fix it, regardless of whether or not pedestrians are crossing, is something that uh, that hadn't been done before, nor had the support of all of the property owners been uh, been uh, gained in, in previous years. And so uh, you're right, when uh, Councillor Barati and Councillor Lukes brought forward the plebiscite, we had to take a position and vote on whether or not we would allow Winnipeggers to have their say. And um, I don't think you go wrong when you when you let, uh, let Winnipeggers uh, let their voice be heard on an issue that they're very passionate about. And so, uh, like I said during the campaign, I... Uh, I, I will respect the outcome of the plebiscite, even though I'm, I'm disappointed. I, I want it to open to pedestrians sooner than later. But uh, Winnipeggers have made their, their decision very clear, and uh, I think uh, Council and I have a responsibility to respect that. Well, just under 43% of Winnipeggers had their say. Does it bother you? Does it disappoint you that voter turnout wasn't higher? And, and just your observations, why do you think the turnout was uh, as low as it was? 
You know what? I'll, I'll leave that for you guys and, and other pundits to, to maybe uh, do that analysis. I, I don't think it's uncommon from looking at uh, voting history that when there is an incumbent, that voter turnout is, is typically lower. Um, we also had a number. I mean, one of our biggest concerns over the final weeks was uh, that many people were saying that, well, you, you got this. Uh, and, and you know what? Uh, anything is possible in an election. Uh, we were working really hard to get our vote out, and, and we did. And, uh, you know, the fact that the voter turnout was lower and we were able to go from 111,000 votes in 2014 and grow that to 114, as well as go from 47 up to 53%, um, I think uh, provides a very strong mandate for uh, the direction that I'd like to continue leading the city. Well, let's talk about the direction, Mr. Sure. Mayor. There was lots of people, you know, during this campaign that said you weren't really making a lot of promises, that, you know, you were playing it safe. And so if I look at what, what to expect or if we look at what to expect in the next four years, what, what would be your top priority and how do you feel like you're going to get that done? In the last term, sure. you came out with 100 promises that you wanted to get to, to complete. Some of those did, some of those didn't. I don't know if I could name five. So what, what is your number one goal? Well, firstly, you need to go to bowmanforwinnipeg.ca because we listed all them. <laughs> and so um, there were a lot of promises. You know, I set out the vision in 2014 for growing the city to a million people. Uh, that vision continues. And so the, the top priorities for me uh, remain. Uh, fixing the roads is number one. We, we need better streets after 14 years of property tax cuts and freezes. Uh, our roads are, are still in disrepair and we're, we're making headway. We're in the right direction. But we now have a $976 million six-year road renewal plan, thanks to $100 million new money from the federal government and a commitment from the provincial government for the same amount. Uh, this is positive, and so Winnipeggers can expect that we're going to continue to, uh, to renew our streets. Uh, we have uh, big challenges, as other cities across Canada do, on uh, dealing with uh, the national meth crisis, and so We've, we're going to continue to, to put a lot of attention and, uh, and work there, especially in working with our provincial government as well as federal government partners. And um, as I mentioned during the campaign, I mean, one of my commitments is to grow Winnipeg into an international leader in human rights. And so that means we need to, uh, we need to market the assets that we have, but also we need to make sure we're protecting and promoting human rights on the ground. Not a small feat and something that uh, is going to require a lot of work and a lot of effort by a lot of people in our community. Mayor Bowman, uh, in, when you ran uh, four years ago, there was a promise to, to build out five BRT lines in the city of Winnipeg by 2030. I heard very little about that in this campaign. Are you prepared to renew your, your vision for that and your commitment to making that happen? Sure. Well, the reason you didn't hear as much as you did the last time is because that, that commitment still remains. And what we've done over the last year is we've, we've kind of brought together a number of uh, transportation studies for transit to do a, a full operational review. And I, I'm expecting that we're going to be able to make uh, fundamental changes to transit that are long overdue, um, not just, of course, continue to, to look at um, additional rapid transit lines, but also high-frequency networks, low-income bus paths, new heated bus shelters. Um, that, that is going to require a lot of effort by, by council and, of course, our public service. And so one of the things that changed from 2014 uh, to today is we have a new provincial government that uh, uh, does not have the same level of commitment to, to Winnipeg Transit and to public transportation. While we are building the second phase of rapid transit, um, out to the University of Manitoba, the, the province changed legislation and unilaterally ended a 50-50 transit cost-sharing arrangement with the city. And so uh, the challenges are significantly greater without 
uh, stronger provincial support. So uh, we've got work to do, and uh, we, we're going to need our provincial government to uh, to support us. Mayor Brian Bowman, congratulations, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate oh, my, the access. My pleasure. Sorry my voice is a bit gone. <laughs> oh, we, we sort of, we yeah. understand. Have we, a great day, guys. All right. Take thank care. You. We want to have some Halloween fun with you for the Small Town Salute and give you the heebie-jeebies. The heebie-jeebies. It's a heart-pumping, scream-inducing scare. At heebie-jeebies, it's on LaSalle Road, just a kilometer south of McGilvery. It's listed as a Winnipeg event, but technically it's in Oak Bluff. So that's what, ooh, my goodness. I can't even listen to this barely, let alone try to go walk through this. <laughs> so, Greg, uh, who are we bringing on to talk about this? Tim right Hughes has been working on this for a few years to bring this to Winnipeg. And Tim, thanks for joining us this morning. We appreciate it very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about uh, where this concept came from, because you you really did your research on this. Uh, yeah, we well, I mean, like, it's a passion. Uh, we've been into it for a number of years, going to events uh, all over North America. I've been to literally hundreds of walkthroughs, uh, conventions, and all kinds of things like that. So it's uh, it's been a few years in the making in the sense that it's been a, a hobby and a passion, but uh, we finally decided to pull the trigger and, and turn it into something for the public. So, uh yeah, we've been going to haunted events now for 13 lucky years, and uh, yeah, so here we are now, and, and now people can come and see uh, the work that we've done. I like your use of the phrase, I've been going to haunted events for 13 lucky years. You obviously enjoy it. When you say when you say it's a passion, you you like being scared, or you like the idea of bringing the scares to the people? Oh, no, it's, it's a thrill for me to see people running around, uh, not just being terrified, the screaming and the yelling that goes on, people peeing their pants, that's, that's always a highlight. <laughs> oh, boy. But uh, but no, just seeing people smiling and laughing as well. Uh, it's not just it's not just screams and terror. People are laughing. They're having a great time. Of course, the the phones are out and the selfies are being taken like crazy. So it's 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 not just terrifying. It's also a lot of fun. So when I drive out to fifty three oh seventy one LaSalle Road, what can I expect when I arrive at Heebie-Jeebies? Uh, well, as you pull in, we've got parking staff to direct you where you need to go. Um, I do have to admit that we our parking lot was full last Saturday, so we did have people on the road. But uh, we'll park you where we can and uh, and on the road when we have to. Uh, once you enter the property, we have three different walkthroughs for you to choose from, and uh, everybody gets a chance to go through all three. Uh, we stay open until the very last person has gone through. And we've got hot chocolate on site. We also have two food trucks available as well. We've got characters roaming around what we call our scare zone, which is the common area that everybody enters and and mingles in uh, where the food trucks are. We've got barrel fires to keep folks warm if it gets a little cool at night. And uh, as you each walk through, two of the walkthroughs we have are are partially indoors, partially outdoors. They take about uh, I'm going to say about five to eight minutes, depending on whether you run or whether you're what we call a stutter stepper, uh, you know, peeking around every corner. Um, and then we also have our field of screams, which typically takes a little bit over 10 minutes to get through. Well, looking at the field of screams in the description on your website, you, you walk through a cornfield, your heart is racing, your eyes strain in the darkness, but there's nothing to see. It's just you look and there's a scarecrow stiffly holding its midnight vigil. You breathe a sigh of relief as you walk past. A crunch behind you makes you turn and stop dead and the scarecrow is gone. 
Do you know you've done your job, Tim, when you hear those screams coming from that field? So absolutely. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. And as I say, I mean, and a lot of people, you know, we put people through in groups of four to six and, and you know, we've gone to a lot of walkthroughs that are quite, quite busy, very big ones in the U.S. where they have what they call a conga line, which is just a steady line. Um, and then some people say, well, geez, you know, four to six people or, or even a conga line that gets to be too thick. And, and if I'm with six people, what if, you know, the person in front of me is going to get it all the time or the person behind me, how often am I going to get scared? But I mean, let's put, let's face it. The argument that takes place at the beginning of every group of people we send through is who's going first. And it's not just about who's going first or second or, or last. It's you're there and you have just as much fun seeing your friends scared as you do. I mean, let's say when you come to our haunted park as well, everybody wants to come, but nobody wants to be scared. It's it's a it's an irony. Um, <laughs> they all want to be there, but don't scare me. Scare my friends. So you know everybody. They all. It, not only do you enjoy being scared yourself, but you also enjoy watching others being scared. And so that's it's it's fun whether you're the person being targeted, and and you will be targeted at some point. I guarantee it. Uh, whether it's you that's being targeted or your friends, everybody has a great time. What, why do you think these things have become such a phenomenon? Like you read statistics that Halloween's now like the second most celebrated quote unquote holiday in North America in terms of money spent, only second only to Christmas. What is it that we love so much about this time of year, Tim? You know, I think it's. I think you can draw a very easy analogy to theme parks, um, roller coaster ride, the simple roller coaster ride. I mean, it's an experience. You 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 sort of get immersed in a sense into a bit of a horror movie, if you will, um, where you're a part of the action. It's it's right there. You're not watching. Uh, you're not watching somebody on the screen go through things. You're going through things, um, and it's it's that again with that roller coaster thing where you know you're going to get on this thing, whatever it is, you're going to go through this experience, and there's going to be highs and lows. Your stomach's going to go up and down. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you're all finished, you're safe. And it was a good time. And that's, that's I think, the, 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 the catch, the draw for people. People love the, the emotional stimulation of it all. They love the, the intensity of it. They love to be part of something. And I think that's uh, – and also Halloween is, is, I hate to say it, but drawn away from the kids. I mean, there's just – it's becoming an adult holiday more and more so every year, it seems. And people are looking for something to do. And, you know, in Winnipeg in particular, there's not a heck of a lot going on in October per se. Um, so I think uh, it's high time that we get some of these, you know, more of these events. I'd, I'd be all too happy to see more Halloween events here. It'd be great to have uh, a lot more going on in that respect. So when I when I drive out to the location uh, in in Oak Bluff, I like to be scared. I enjoy watching scary movies, but at the same time, I'm super flinchy. I'm the guy who sort of jumps off the couch and will maybe say something, you know, utter some some bad words. Uh, and in, in a live environment like that, I I fear. That I would be the guy who like punches somebody. Yeah, you're the puncher, yeah. So yeah. have any oh, of he your sounds st- like he knows this guy. <laughs> is this a oh, thing yeah. that happens? Yeah, it happens. Um, you know, this is the we've already had a couple of people, you know, literally punched in the face. We've had a couple of fat lips already. Uh, we do try and train our staff to deal with people like you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, we we teach our staff to train. We train our staff to, to scare with their best foot forward. Everybody's got a best foot. We try to make sure that they, they create a little bit of space between yourself and the person you're scaring, and to do what we call a startle scare, where it's like boom and then get out of their face. Um, it's very instant, very quick. 
Um, you know, if they're doing it right, then hopefully nobody gets hurt. Um, but yeah, we do have, we do have, and, if, and, and quite honestly, the funny thing is that the, the person who got punched in the lip, we had a few people that were, it was one person who went through, one person like you, that was just punching everybody that went by. And, and it was, you know, it was this little, the little petite woman that went through and she was just pounding everybody in the face. You're and, kidding. And we, you know, I had about three or four actors come out and say, I got punched, I got punched. And we thought it was three or four different people. And no, it was this one petite little person who was going through just pounding everyone in the face every time they walked by someone. On the positive so. side, it sounds like Brett has good survival instincts, I think, in any sort of bad situation. You at least get out of there, Brett. <laughs> That's true. Come on yeah. down and we'll see what happens. It's heebie-jeebies. Go to hell and back. Once again, it is located at 53071 LaSalle Road. That's in Oak Bluff, one kilometer south of McGillivray. The website, heebie-jeebies.ca. You can also follow them on Facebook and on Instagram. Tim Muse, thank you so much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Right, so all 10 incumbents will be returning to City Hall. That's familiar faces like Matt Allard, Brian Mays, Janice Lukes, and five new faces. Among them, Sean Nason, elected in Transcona last night. That was Russ Wyatt's ward for 16 years, but Wyatt left his seat after he was charged with sexual assault, charges he has denied. Transcona had the race with the most contenders, eight in all. And there was a good reminder last night of just how hard it can be to put yourself on the line. Here's Nason. How are you feeling today? Uh, overwhelmed. <laughs> It's a great experience, um, you know, and I look forward to uh, to helping, you know, our community move forward. Um, Russ led this community for a lot of years, did a lot of good, and uh, there's still more need in our community, and I, I look forward to, to moving us forward in that direction. And is there anything else you'd like to add tonight? Uh, thank you, Transcona. Um, we worked hard. Um, we had a great team. To, uh, that worked with us to, to get here, and I appreciate that. So, thank you. That was Sean Nason, newly elected in Transcona, a little emotional and perhaps a little shocked with the win. Another happy first-timer last night was Sherry Rollins. She won a seven-way race in Fort Rouge. That's the war Jenny Gerbassi was in charge of for 16 years. And Sherry joins us on the phone now. Good morning and congratulations, Sherry. Well, um, great, and and I, I'm delighted to listen to Sean um, uh, be so emotional last night. That was that was fun for me to listen to. I didn't hear that last night. I was I was busy with my own campaign, but uh, uh, I certainly understand that level of emotion and and, uh, and 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 likely the fatigue that leads to that emotion. <laughs> I bet that has a lot to do with it. There's so much that goes into a race that most of us don't realize. Exhaustion. You know, you're pounding the pavement, and then now the work really begins. There's no rest for the weary, Sherry. And we've been talking a lot about what appears. To be a relatively divided council this morning, some of the incumbents, not exactly fans of Mayor Brian Bowman, you're new to this scene, but you've you've sat on uh, school division boards before. As a newcomer to City Hall politics, how do you prepare to walk into the situation which could be slightly divided? Well, you know, I think you walk in there, um, you know, with all the experience you have at building teams. And so, um, you know, I think I think before anyone um, judges the new council, you have to see how we form and and uh you know i'm sure everyone's going to go uh to work uh 
when we when we take that oath of office and and we'll get to work and and we'll form a team that'll make Winnipeg proud hopefully. Sherry, is there a benefit in going on to council with four other newcomers? Yeah, you know, I was elected as a trustee uh with six new uh trustees. So, um there there is a benefit. I mean, you you do you do come in with a, a lot of energy, you know, I'm a city councilor that believes in term limits. Um, and so you come in with um, a bit of energy, and you um, and you form that team, and you um, and, and you get to work. Um, and so I'm proud of the last four years that I served on the Winnipeg School Division, that largest and oldest school division in Manitoba. Um, and 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 I'm I'm looking forward to serving on City Council for sure. Sherry Rollins, what are you hoping to accomplish for your ward of Fort Rouge East, Fort Gary? Well, I definitely came, campaigned uh, and went door-to-door uh, campaigning on three themes, safer communities, a stronger economy uh, with smart investments and a better Winnipeg for everyone, so uh, a more inclusive city. So those three themes, a more inclusive city, safer communities, and, and, and smart investments are, are the three themes that I must absolutely work on to do what I said, said I was going to do at the door. You know, those, they're good topics. We heard a lot from people in this campaign, concerns about crime, concerns about the roads. And at the end of the day, we had only 42% of Winnipeggers voting. I mean, what, what, what can we do to get residents, residents in your ward, just residents citywide and province-wide to, to care a little more about what happens at City Hall and on their streets? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking that question. I'm, I wasn't happy at all with that voter turnout. Um, and I, I, you know, towards the end of the campaign, uh, my campaign and I looked at each other and went, what is this? And I said, you know, I think this is low voter turnout. And, and uh, it, it wasn't as bad in Winnipeg. It certainly wasn't as bad uh, in Fort Rouge's for Gary as in, in comparison to other wards and, and certainly in comparison to other areas of the province where you saw a really dismal turnout in Brandon, for instance. And so um, definitely, um, you know, I'm going to answer like a school trustee, definitely, um, you know, schools and education plays a role. Uh, I know uh, my family took every moment on uh, upcoming on Remembrance Day uh, to observe that day and to remember uh, what it means uh, to work uh, in a democracy and work for a democracy and work for the country. And I think, I think um, definitely uh, a duty ethic would be uh, a little bit advantageous. So we absolutely need parents' help and we need educators um, um, to talk a bit about what, what that means. Um, I, I wasn't happy with that voter turnout. Sherry Rollins, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations once again. Thank you. Thank you. Currently trying to get a hold of Abi Khan. He is, he was on the vote open team regarding Portage in Maine, Jeff Forte. Do we have him, Jeff? All right. Here he is joining us now live on 680 CJOB1, Mr. Abi Khan. Abi, good morning, good sir. Mo- good morning, guys. How are you? Well, we're doing okay. How are you doing? I think a lot of us were expecting this outcome last night with regards to this plebiscite, roughly 65% to 35%, uh, yeah. with with only about 40% of eligible voters taking the time to come out and vote. Is this the end of this conversation, do you expect, Abby? No, I, I, by no means do I think this is the end of the conversation. It was an uphill battle. Everyone knew that going in on both sides. It was going to be really, really tough to get that thing open. 
Um, so th- I don't think the movement's dead. I don't think we're overly surprised that it was no. We were hoping and optimistic and as positive as we are on the vote open side to make Winnipeg better. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things you're like, oh, darn it. Uh, we wish it would have gone the other way. But it's not dead. I don't think the movement is dead. I think people are really passionate to open open Portage, Maine, and we just need to get the facts out there. I think if more people knew the facts of why we wanted Portage, Maine open, I think it would have been a different conversation. And unfortunately, you know, we couldn't do that as a vote open. And I don't think the city did a great job of educating people as well. So how do we educate them? Because I know the vote open team, you you had pamphlets, uh, you had signs, you had a website, you were on, folks were on Twitter daily posting different things to sort of set the scene of what Portage of Maine could look like and to try to debunk those arguments for against opening it. And it didn't really move the dial at all on the conversation. So going forward, Abby, I mean, I, I don't know where you turn next to educate the public for your campaign. Well, and I totally agree with you on that. Like, you know, we did the best we could with privately funded money and local volunteers coming together to try to get this thing going. Um, you know, the big thing is that you'd have to look at the numbers carefully, and I haven't access to those to see, you know, where people voted yes and no, and what ridings were they in. You know, was it mostly the Burbites that were voting no, and people in the Exchange District and downtown core, people that live and invested are in that area, voted yes. Uh, or, you know, where are the numbers coming from and how can we reach those? I know people in the downtown core and people who are very active on social media and follow certain people on social influencers, uh, yes, for sure there was influence out there. But if you're inside that bubble and you don't follow a handful of people on social media and you don't live in the core, you, we have limited access to the budget for the mail outs we could do, uh, how else do you reach those other people that live in uh, Sage Creek, that live in Royalwood, that live in St. Charles, that aren't invested in the Portage Main area and don't really care whether it opens or not, and they're okay with the way things are going, so why would they even change their mind? Uh, it's how do we get to those people to change those votes and educate people uh, and also present a plan going forward. Um, you know, the vote open people, we, we tried to put together a package, and we, you know, we talked about transit corridors, we talked about access, we talked about funding, and how much, you know, the minuscule the difference would be from opening and closing it financially, uh, but more of a vision and a plan on how we can get this. I think once people see that, um, you know, we can start to swing the vote. Also, it's very important to, I want to also say that, you know, plebiscite, this is the first time it's happened in uh, how many years? 25 years? I think you guys would probably know better than, than me, but, you know, you look at major capital projects in Winnipeg, like the MTS Center, like the Forks, uh, like other major infrastructure projects like the Waverly Overpass and the Plessis and Chief Headless, none of these went to plebiscite, and they were a fraction. Uh, opening Portage Maine is a fraction of the cost uh, of any of those projects, and yet this one went to plebiscite. Uh, why? I don't know what happens. I'm not a city councilor. I don't know what happened in that, in that hall to let it go here, but you know, we entrust visionaries. That's what last night was. Last night was a vote for visionaries to make Winnipeg a better city, uh, and I hope that this city council and Brian, I know for sure, will push Winnipeg forward, and I think pushing Winnipeg forward means opening Portage Maine somehow. Abby Khan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We very much appreciate the time and the passion you bring to the city of Winnipeg. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Movement is not dead. We're going to keep working on this. It's going to open, I tell you. As long as I'm in Winnipeg, I'm going to work to open Portage Man. Abby Khan joining us live on 680 CJOB this morning. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on 680 CJOB. Greg Mackling. What's North Forge? 
North Forge Technology Exchange lives on Adelaide, otherwise known as Innovation Alley in downtown Winnipeg. This is an organization that helps entrepreneurs get things going. They've got multiple satellite offices as well, and they just won an award from Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization. Jeff Risner, president of North Forge. Jeff, did I get the last name right? You did. Jeff, thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. Congratulations on this award. And I I don't want to uh, answer a question that you could answer much better than I could. (laughs) So what is North Forge for the uninitiated? Uh, You know what? You were doing really well. (laughs) Generally, you know what? We're here to help uh, uh, forward the Manitoba innovation economy. So we do that through a variety of uh, different programs. You know, one, of course, is our startup program, which is basically, you know, matching that those enthusiastic people with great ideas with experienced mentors to help them kind of wade through their idea, test that idea and and get it going, you know, in a uh, in an affordable way. And uh, we also have other labs as well. Uh, Right now, you mentioned Innovation Alley. I'm actually calling from our fabrication lab which is a rapid prototyping facility. You know, the mantra around here is you can build anything here. Um, and uh, it's, it's a very low membership fee, $150 a month. And you have full access to the wood shop, metal shop, 3D printing, uh, lasers, uh, electronics lab, you name it. Jeff, I can tell you this from experience. I was a little bit of an entrepreneur when I was younger. I could still consider myself one. My brother and I went into an invention competition in Edmonton almost 20 years ago, and we did we did well. We finished in third place. We won this you know great prize and whatnot. But at the end of the day, we didn't know where to go. A to get a proper prototype built or to help build a business plan to help us, A, figure out if it was worth investing in a prototype, and B, figure out if this was something that could do what we imagined it might. Is this something that North Forge could have done for us back in 1995? You know what, that's that's exactly why we exist. Um, You know, everybody's watched, you know, Dragon's Den or, or Shark Tank, and they see you know, what they're watching is actually, you know, collection of the best and the worst. And and the worst is usually somebody who's, you know, come up with something, probably spent, I don't know, $300,000 building something that should have never existed. And and that, and we, we chuckle and ha ha ha, too bad for that person. But, you know, to create that entrepreneurial culture in Manitoba, you know, what we're trying to do is say, hey, we want you to have ideas. We want you to be innovative and don't think that you got to mortgage your house, you know, in order to take this idea forward. Come and talk to an experienced mentor with your idea before you prototype and let's test that idea before we start spending money. Jeff, let's talk about those ideas. I personally, I still have a heart. You know, when I hear the word 3D printer and then I've seen what they can do, it's still still hard for me to wrap my head around all these emerging technologies and the way they're really changing things. So uh, give me a, give us a sense of some of the things that have come into that fabrication lab and what kind of applications they might have in the day-to-day world. Sure. You know what? The, the, the easiest, easiest example I could probably give you is pretty much anything that uh, Manitoba researchers are doing in the way of medical devices today. So the, the, the old way we would do this 
you know, we come up with this idea, we start buying parts from uh, DigiKey and we start assembling this, you know, massive contraption that's going to do something. And hooray, it's actually working. But now we start going through an iteration, uh, uh, an, an iterative process where we're trying to get this thing closer to what it's actually going to look like in a hospital. And of course, the device is getting smaller, we're, we're, we're hooking up this, we're hooking up that, and lo and behold, before we even get done, the thing starts overheating because it's too small or, 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 or pick, you know, pick an example. So at that point you say, wow, we gotta rethink this whole thing and how much money did we just spend? When you access the fabrication lab, for example, you can actually start by printing those cases, printing those parts, at the size that you want to start at, where you want it to end at. And so you're actually testing something that is much more accurate. And if it's not working, let's say the vents on that box were a couple millimeters off, you can adjust your design, print it again. So, you know, uh, you know from, from my background in medical devices, I can say that I think our first prototype we ever ran through this lab probably saved us about $200,000. Wow. Jeff Risner, president of North Forge. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We very much appreciate the time and congratulations. Well, thank you very much. North Forge Technology Exchange has received the Startup Canada Community of the Year Award from Startup Canada, which is Canada's entrepreneurship organization. The website is northforge.ca, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on 680 CJOB. And Loren, uh, we heard Jeff saying in the news, five new councillors yeah. at City Hall. Often you say uh, after an election night that a new day has dawned at City Hall, and it has sort of, except for with much of the old council. Well, one-third, it kind of it meshes with the plebiscite results on Portage and Main, right? 35% roughly of... City Council is brand new. 35% said yes to Portage in Maine. That's a good, that's a good comparison there. <laughs> doing Mayor, my, I'm doing my best. I like, I like the math. Mayor Brian Bowman, of course, returning for another four years along with the 10 incumbents. Almost half of those incumbents endorsed Bowman's rival. But is everyone ready to wipe the slate clean? Here's what Mayor Brian Bowman had to say to us this morning. You know, heading into um, this campaign, Mr. Mayor, there's lots of people that talked about uh, how challenging it is to work with you, and you now have a different council. What are you going to do to sort of unite everyone and move forward uh, for the next four years? Well, the the, the councillors that were saying that were were ones that endorsed another candidate, and now the election is over. It really is, uh, I think, up to all of us, uh, including those that were actively working to get me defeated, to, uh, to to come together and uh, and start uh, reworking or and working again for for Winnipeggers. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, any campaign you, you get your bruises, but at the end of the day, I'm incredibly proud that uh, we were able to grow not just our, our uh, percentage of the support from the 2014 election, but also overall votes. And so it's a stronger mandate than before. And uh, I'm obviously hoping that council will respect that democratic uh, wish from from Winnipeggers. So Councillor Janice Lukes was elected in 2014 with with Mayor Brian Bowman. Both of them were newcomers to Councillor Council, but over the past couple of years, they've been at odds over a few issues. Lukes was acclaimed in the new ward of Waverly West last night and joins us on the phone now. Good morning, Janice. 
Good morning. Good morning. So just listening to the mayor there, he says he's ready to roll up his sleeves, but also suggested that councillors like yourself, those that opposed him during this campaign, so that would be you, uh, Jeff Browati, Ross Eady, Jason Schreier, that you perhaps need to extend your own olive branch. Are you prepared to do that? Well, sure. You know what? In in the realm of politics, whether it's civic politics or politics at a provincial or federal level, you know, when you have leadership challenges uh, within party systems, you have to put everything aside, start new, and go forward. And, um, you know, um, an election with new people on board is a good time to do that. The interesting thing about City Hall, we always say, is that there there are no party lines being drawn, mm-hmm. but there are lines that do get drawn on a number of issues, and that can get contentious and, and will, I, no doubt, in the next four years. Is there something that can be done to make that easier so that there's not, you know, going toe-to-toe all the time over something and then having to maybe, you know, uh, ingratiate yourself with the mayor on an issue that you may or may not believe with? What, what, can, what can be done about that? I think the main thing that draws a line at City Hall is the fact that some councillors receive extensive amounts of information and staff briefings on topics, and other councillors, and, and some, someone challenged me on this, but this is the fact, when reports go live on the website, that moment when I read that report is when you read that report, when the public reads that report. That's, so I, I just have that information. So it's, it's, the line is, who has a healthy overview and understanding of the situation or who gets to read a 10-page report and is not allowed to have meetings with the staff? That's where the line is, to me anyways, because I'm there to make informed decisions. But if I don't get all the information, you know, the decision is going to be the decision that doesn't have all the information. And I don't think that's right. <laughs> And that's the part that that really I have a problem with. Janice, I look back and go back into the early 2000s when the negotiations were taking place to to, uh, purchase uh, Eaton's and the whole deal that was being put together to build uh, what's now Bell MTS Place and the argument that you can't have too many eyes on these negotiations because inevitably details that could jeopardize the deal may get out. So, you know, from a business standpoint, my dad always used to tell me never talk about it till till the ink mm. is on the page until until there's a signature on the deal can you try and help us understand why some of these reports if there is a good reason don't get into more hands and in front of more eyes mm-hmm. okay so for sure i mean obviously there's there's levels of uh, negotiating and discussions that go on that you know it's like it's like let's say true north you know there's the board and then there's probably another level after the board but when I, i'm talking about reports that come forward that there's a lot of complicated reports at city hall um, not everyone's versed in tiffs not everyone's versed in uh, different forms of taxation that are put on or or fees or so when these complicated reports come forward Internally, I was on EPC for two years. You have in-depth briefings from the departments to explain all the nuances in the report and the potential implications uh, that the report brings forward. So, I don't know. You know, I'm going to study governance a lot more. I'm going to have probably a lot more time to do it because I probably won't be on the executive policy committee. And uh, I looked at models like Calgary. All the councillors get all the information at the same time. So 
if you're voting on something that's impacting people's lives, that's impacting uh, tax base, tax dollars, I I just think we should have um, better um, access to information. And that, that that's a challenge in this current system. But the good thing is we've got $175,000 to look at uh, governance, to look at best practices in other cities, and see if we can improve the way we make decisions, because we haven't done that in 20 years. And I'm really looking forward to, it's not a riveting, sexy topic by any means, <laughs> but it's how we make decisions. And what I found in this whole Portage and Maine vote, uh, this whole Portage and Maine issue, is as passionate as people are, they don't understand, they need to actually learn how City Hall works. And it's nine votes, right? That's what it takes. So so yeah. if, 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 if nine people can't get up to speed on a topic like Portage and Maine, and it's difficult mm-hmm. to educate all the members of council on something mm-hmm. like this, why mm-hmm. did you feel it was a good idea to put it in the hands of the public? And what other projects are we going to be voting on now uh, that we've had a plebiscite on Portage and Maine? Mm-hmm. So if you look at, um, I'm going to call transformational changing projects in the city, I don't know if we'd call Waverly Underpass that transformational changing, but let's use that one for example. Let's use Keniston for example. Let's use projects that are say $10 million and more. What the general process of the general practice is, is we invest in studying the project. We learn all about the nuances, all about the details, and then we vote to either support it or not. In the Portage and Maine situation, we had no studies done. Well, we had no, I shouldn't say that. We did have a study done. We did have a study done. And we were to vote on whether to open it or not. But we had not done one iota of public consultation. And Waverly Underpass, Keniston, we've been doing consultation for years. And when you take, this is basic communications 101, public consultation 101. When you have a highly charged project, and it's no secret, Portage Maine was tried to be open prior uh, to this mayor. It's a highly charged project. You, you you have to reach out and talk. And consultation is probably more about education than it's it's both, but it, it, a huge factor is education. And um, that never happened. So I felt it was important to put my name on that to try and get some information out there. And I have to tell you, we got amazing information from the, the downtown crowd, and I think people, some people were swayed. I know some were because of who I spoke to. Now, imagine if we would have done that before. Yeah, but should citizens have years. to do that job, Janice? I mean, should it be up to the people to, to come no, forward and present that? Not. No, and that's, that should have all happened as part of the process when we were first initiated Portage and Maine. But why not push for that instead of having gone to this plebiscite? And I know it's a done deal, but I think that's the one thing, yeah. you know, if we had just, yeah. if, if we use the processes of councils that exist and we had, yeah. had gone looking for that information, then then we might still be able to move forward on this project someday well, rather exactly. than just saying like, goodbye to it. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I mean it's, a, it's a totally different analogy, but I use my rooming house project as an as analogy. That was one of my big priorities when I came in. So for three and a half years, I had countless community engagement meetings to help people understand how bylaw enforcement worked, how zoning worked, all of those things. And then we've gotten to a point now where we're, you know, we're actually looking at, at 
rezoning and and we've we've gone so far because it's an education process so right off the bat and i spoke to downtown very significant downtown leaders about this right off the bat saying look we need uh, a dog and pony show we need to get out there and start talking to all of the city not just downtown all of the city i have worked over 18 years on extremely controversial active transportation projects I'm not saying I've got the most expertise on council about dealing with uh, highly charged active transportation projects, but I was there in the traffic circle realm. I was there in the bridge, the Omens Creek bridge issue. I was there with the $20 million from the federal government. There was a lot of highly charged issues. Um, And anyways, it is what it is. And you know what? The whole thing was extremely fumbled in my opinion. I, I just, I guess, in hearing all that, you, you, in my opinion, you just made an argument for this never going to the public in the first place because all the questions have yet to be answered. And I always championed your your uh, and and thought you were such a terrific champion for controversial projects like uh, mm-hmm. more active transportation. And, and and what if that had gone to a public vote? You know how the overall the public feels about spending ten, twenty, thirty million dollars on bike lanes. Winnipeg, that's not passing mm-hmm. a plebiscite mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that was the federal federal government, which, you know, I lobbied <laughs> very heavily for to get that. But I guess my point is, when you have, it doesn't matter what it is, like Keniston is going to be a highly charged project, the widening of Keniston also. Um, when you have, from a communication standpoint, when you have these highly charged projects, there's a whole different way that you need to approach and engage and educate and get the message out. Because if you don't do it properly, and this is what happened with Portage and Maine, it's like you have to let that project go back to sleep and then bring it up again. And I don't know, you know, it's personally, of course I'd like to have seen it open. But again, I built levels of trust over four years with residents. We were asked to vote on something within a 12-day window, no briefing, uh, we were told no time for a briefing, <laughs> no time for a briefing. Can you imagine? Um, no, no, nothing. And and I build this level of trust with my constituents and they're telling me one thing and I've got to honor that because I'm an elected representative. It's not all about Janice. I'm an elected representative. Well, as long as people are aware that, you know, when we put something back to sleep and it comes out again, we study it again and we spend more money on it again. And, you know, it reminds me of things like the Ring Road, which we keep hearing about and working to finish the inner Ring Road and and other extensions. And so the money gets spent and then it goes to bed and then it gets spent again. So, mm-hmm. you know, going forward, I hope everyone at Council is cognizant of that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Janice well, Luke's. you know, yes. <laughs> go on about this i won't thank you <laughs> janice lukes thank you so much for the time and access we appreciate it very much thank you janice lukes joining us live on 680 cjob city councillor now in waverly west the start on demand is available on apple podcast google podcast and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts